Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. My friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. Boy, there is so much going on. It's hard to know where to start. First of all, Julie Swetnick, 55, has come out. She has uh, held multiple clearances for work done at the Treasury Department, the U.S. Mint, the IRS, the State Department and the Justice Department. This Koch Brothers funded network that's running these ads in favor of Judge Kavanaugh keeps saying, investigated six times by the FBI. Well, she has been, too. She has these secret clearances and stuff. She says during the years of 1981 and 1982, she learned of efforts by Kavanaugh, Mark Judge and others to, quote, spike the drinks of girls at house parties I attended with grain alcohol and or drugs to, so as to cause girls to lose inhibitions and their ability to say no. She says certain girls were targeted by those boys. Quote, it was usually a girl who was especially vulnerable because she was alone at the party or shy. She goes on to say that uh, Kavanaugh and his buddy Mark Judge did this, quote, so that girls could be gang raped in a side room or bedroom by a train of numerous boys. She says, and I quote, I have a firm recollection of seeing boys lined up outside rooms at many of these parties waiting for their turn with a girl inside the room. These boys included Mark Judge and Brett Kavanaugh. And then she says in her affidavit, this is a sworn affidavit. This is, she can go to jail if she is lying. And in this affidavit that she has submitted to the Senate Judiciary Committee, which they seem to be ignoring, she says in approximately 1982, I became the victim of one of these gang or train rapes where Mark Judge and Brett Kavanaugh were present. Shortly after the incident, I shared what had transpired with at least two other people. She says, during the incident, I was incapacitated without my consent, not able to fight off the boys raping me. I believe I was drugged using qualudes or something similar placed in what I was drinking. So there you have it. This is Michael Avenatti's client. Meanwhile, there's, I mean, just the, the spectrum of stuff that is going on is just absolutely amazing. Justice Kennedy whose son, by the way, uh, worked at the bank, Deutsche Bank, that loaned a billion dollars to Donald Trump. Uh, Justice Kennedy, the day after he said that he was going to retire, a case was brought to the state Supreme Court that theoretically had nothing to do with anything. It's called Gamble versus the United States. And in this case, 
Uh, this guy who is being prosecuted for tax fraud at a state level, I, as I recall, I, I haven't read the, the full case and I don't have it in front of me, but my recollection is that he was being prosecuted both for state tax violations and federal tax violations. And in this case, he's arguing that he shouldn't be able to be allowed to be prosecuted by the state if he's being prosecuted by the feds. Now, what this would mean for Donald Trump is that if he were to pardon Paul Manafort, he can only pardon him of federal crimes. So he pardons him of the federal crimes. The state of New York, which is where many of these crimes took place, Connecticut, some of the others, these states could come forward and they could prosecute Paul Manafort, even though he'd been federally pardoned. And everybody has been talking about this. Everybody's been kind of, you know, winking and nodding about this. Well, this case, Gamble, before the United States Supreme Court, which will be heard in the next term that starts next month, this case would make it impossible for a state to prosecute Trump or anybody else if, if a pardon had been put into place. So, you know, it's pretty, pretty amazing stuff. Another story here, did, you know, how did Trump become president? Professor uh, Kathleen Hall Jamison is with us. She's the director of the Annenberg School for Communications Public Policy Center, and she's the author of a brand new book, holding it in my hand here, Cyber War, How Russian Hackers and Trolls Helped Elect the president, Dr. Hall Jamison. Welcome to the program. Yeah, call me Kathleen, please. It's nice to be with you. Thank you, Kathleen. So uh, tell us the story. How, how, how do you know that had Russia not intervened in the elections, Donald Trump would not be president? Well, I can't say that I know it. I can say that I have a very strong case for it. Mm -hmm. um, and as a result, I surmise it from the case. Uh, first, there was enough troll activity uh, that was well enough aligned strategically with Trump's interests, that is, mobilize evangelicals and Christian Catholics, mobilize military and veteran families, suppress or minimize African-American voting and voting by Sanders supporters, and switch anyone who is not inclined to not vote to switch over rather than to Hillary Clinton over to Jill Stein, and that the content of the trolls was evocative uh, based on prejudice, fear, anger, the sorts of things that create viral dissemination and create effective contagion. And as a result, everything they had was well aligned to influence people. We don't know whether it did in the three key states because we don't yet have the data knowing which computers received the material. The platforms know that. If they would tell us that, we could know how strong the case is. The second part of the case is the hackers. The hackers did create a massive impact. We saw hacked content in our news on an ongoing basis. You're talking Hillary Clinton's emails and John Podesta's Hillary, emails. John Podesta's, not, not Hillary Clinton's emails, but the emails of her staff, mm. uh, John Podesta's emails, uh, DNC traffic. D they also hacked the DCCC, Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. In the process, they got voter turnout models, and they got the complete model for the turnout for the Clinton campaign, which would increase the likelihood, if they were skillful, that the troll content would have gone to the right places. Mm. Uh, and But more importantly, when you're asking, how do I know what I know? No, they changed the media agenda. They not only affected the Clinton campaign, Debbie Wasserman Schultz resigned uh, at the Democratic National Convention, they made it harder to consolidate the Sanders vote because of the content that was hacked and leaked and then judiciously massaged by the Republicans and magnified by news. The hacked documents that were released very strategically on October 7th blunted the impact of the Access Hollywood revelations about Donald Trump by putting a competing Hillary Clinton narrative in news and eliminated from news the other element that was at play that day, the report of the uh, national intelligence community that the Russians were behind the hackers. So hmm. by releasing that content on that day, they changed the news agenda, took 
a news agenda that otherwise would have had two anti-Trump stories. Russians did the hacking at Access Hollywood tape and instead created a balance with Hillary Clinton's private revelations versus Donald Trump's private versus public behavior. And then, since they dripped it out throughout October, they changed the media agenda to create more negative messaging against Hillary Clinton. We see a drop in her perceived qualification during that time period that's difficult to attribute to anything else. And hacked content was used in the last two debates in ways that made Hillary Clinton look bad. We also picked that up in a survey. And we know it was the Russians who hacked this content. We know that the national intelligence community agrees that it was, yes. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty damning. Um, what, what do we do with this? Well, first, we, we ask, what was the role of each of the players, and are they doing enough to create disincentives for other countries to do it and to protect us from it? Um, and, and there, we've got a whole sort, all sorts of dimensions at play. I mean, the government has indicted individuals who are responsible for the hacking and for the troll content. Right, these 12 Russians. Uh, the Russians, and then this is Mueller in both cases, and they have levied through Congress, and the president did sign it. They have levied sanctions against them, and they've got them indicted. So if they could ever get their hands on them, they'll try them. But that hasn't stopped them. They're still meddling in our system. So we can say, well, there's an effort there, but that, that hasn't done it yet. Uh, then secondly, what are the platforms doing? Uh, we could spend two hours on how difficult it is for the platforms. By platforms, you mean Facebook, Twitter, et cetera? Uh-huh. Yep, okay. yep. Um, it's, it, but the first thing they can do is prevent it from coming in. Right. And one, the one thing that they have done is tried to find a way not to let them advertise on the platforms. Um, and they're, they're doing that by making sure that they verify that the person who is buying the ads has a U.S. address. Now, that doesn't eliminate the possibility that some foreign power gets a U.S. address, puts a plant in and does it, but it makes it more difficult. Um, and one of the funnier moments in the original first hearings that happened in October and November 2017 occurred when a member of the committee said, well, how, you know, how clear, you know, how smart did you have to be to figure out they were Russians? They were buying ads in rubles. Mm. Well, they didn't do that very much. In fact, one of the things they were indicted for was stealing identities of people in the United States in order to use them as a fake conduit through which to buy content. Uh, the other thing that they're doing is trying with the content that comes in that is problematic, both from U.S. sources and non, to put fact-checking up against it. And I run factcheck.org, so we're actually part of that, mm. in the hope that when people search for misinformation, not knowing it is misinformation, that there will be corrective content up next to it. And if I, people will read the correction before they read the misinformation, we increase the likelihood they won't believe the misinformation. Yeah. So that's actually an important step. They're also trying to increase the likelihood that we know who's behind content. And so Google on YouTube is putting up disclaimers on air when the content is government-sponsored. Now, that means, for example, that you will know that RT is actually what used to be called Russia Today, and so you're watching a Kremlin-sponsored channel. But it also means that our PBS is also identified as having some government support. So they're trying to disclose the source of things to increase the likelihood that we, we assess we, whether we want to believe them based on source. Yeah, I get it. One of the things that I've noticed on Twitter, uh, I've got you know, over 100,000 followers, and so I, get, I think I'm a target for this. People will come on and they'll say something very well-crafted, and it's what would have been in an ad, but it's not the ad. It's just a, it's a comment that just you know, takes down some Democratic talking point or whatever. And when I look at the profile of the person, I discover that they've got 12,000 tweets and five followers, 
which says to me <laughs> that, that it's a bot or something. And so, you know, I block them. How does Twitter handle that? Should they go to a you must use your real name kind of policy? No more, no more pseudonyms? Well, well one, one, the anonymity or pseudonymity um, of the platforms makes it easier to disguise who you are. Right. Um, and so the, the, the question is, you know, should they at least verify that the person who is posting is a real person? Right. So forget whether it's actually a person by your name who is actually you. First, do we know it's a real person? Right. Because when bots are able to surge against content, they increase the likelihood that we feel as if our community has endorsed it before we've wow. ever thought about it. Yeah. And there's a persuasive effect behind that that can be pernicious. Also, when you look at the Twitter followers, you know, a reasonable number of those turned out to be bots. Yeah. Professor Kathleen Hall Jamison. This is the Tom Hartman Program. It's a brand new book. It's called Cyber War, How Russian Hackers and Trollers Helped Elect a President. What we don't, can't, and do know. Kathleen Hall Jamison, thank you so much for being with us. You're welcome. BlindsGalore.com was the first place you could buy custom window treatments online, and because of that, they know what they're doing. They've been doing this for over 20 years and have covered over 2 million windows and know exactly how to get you the right blinds at the right price. They make it easy. They made it easy for Louise and me to go in and order. It was a breeze. It will be for you, too. Blinds Galore's products are hand-built from scratch, delivered right to your door, and created just for your windows. Their expert team is happy to help you every step of the way, either online or over the phone. Plus, they have the industry's best guarantee. If you don't like your custom blinds or shades for any reason, wrong color, you measured wrong, you don't like the style, you can exchange it for another covering for free. Blinds Galore will even set you up with 15 free samples and free shipping on top of the free expertise. It doesn't get any better than that. Blinds Galore makes it easy to get the custom blinds and shades you've always wanted in your home. Go check out BlindsGalore.com and let them know we sent you. That's BlindsGalore.com. It's Mark, Congressman Mark Pocan, on the line with us. Congressman Pocan, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. And for those of you uh, who may be tuning in for the first time, Congressman Pocan is the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. And uh, he, he uh, represents the state of Wisconsin in the U.S. House of Representatives. Uh, Pocan.house.gov and uh, Rep. Mark Pocan on Twitter. Congressman, a couple of quick things. Number one, this woman who is represented by Michael Avenatti, her name is Julie Swetnick, has come forward and said that uh, she learned of efforts by Kavanaugh and his friend Mark Judge, quote, to spike the drinks of girls at house parties I attended with grain alcohol and or drugs so as to cause girls to lose inhibition and their ability to say no. Quote, it was usually a girl that was especially vulnerable because she was alone at the party or shy. She said, quote, Kavanaugh and his buddy had done this so that girls could be gang raped in a side room or bedroom by a train of numerous boys. Quote, I have a firm recollection of seeing boys lined up outside rooms at many of these parties waiting for their turn with a girl inside the room. These boys included Mark Judge and Brett Kavanaugh. And then she says, in 1982, I became the victim of one of these gang or train rapes where Mark Judge and Brett Kavanaugh was, were present. Uh, shortly after the incident, I shared what had transpired with at least two other people. During the incident, I was incapacitated, unable to fight off. I believe I was drugged using qualudes placed in my drinks. This is serious stuff. The Midwest Mel test is totally in play here. I mean, if they really want to get to the bottom of this and have a third-party verifier that nothing happened, you have the FBI do investigations, and the fact that they won't, uh, the 11 old white men on the Senate uh, committee who instead now have to bring in someone to ask questions to show any kind of diversity on this issue, you know, what they need to do is do what would make perfect sense. They'd probably need a week tops 
two weeks to have the FBI actually do the job of the FBI, which is find out uh, all these allegations. Instead, to have a hearing on Thursday and force a vote on Friday, I think sends a huge message to uh, so many people in this country what is really going on here. And this is brand new information, right? Uh, we've got to do this right, not fast. And all they seem to care about is the speed of getting this done. Yeah, it's, it's really quite remarkable. Um, so we've got that going on in the Supreme Court. Oh, by the way, the Violence Against Women Act. The Republicans, I understand that, uh, you know, you, you've participated in the House. You have 168, as I recall. Let me check this out. Yeah, 163, excuse me, Democratic members in the House. Zero Republicans signed on as co-sponsors of the reauthorization of the Violence Against Women Act. This was first passed in 1994 in the wake of Anita Hill, in the wake of her he hearings. You know, on the Senate Judiciary Committee, Grassley, Hatch, Graham, Cornyn, Lee, and Cruz have all voted against it in the Senate. What's going on with this? Yeah, no, so now that's part of the appropriations bill that we will pass this week. But my first session, three sessions ago, this came up. They had to come and get votes from across the aisle, one of the few times that's happened. And, of course, Boehner got in trouble for it. So it is amazing mm -hmm. that the Republicans consistently try to oppose this type of legislation. In this case, it will get done with this package in the House this week. But it just shows all the problems they have around these issues. And you can look at either the makeup of the committee and see the problem, you can look at how they're dealing with this issue. You can look at the crazy remarks from people like Tucker Carlson uh, telling uh, victims that they're part of the problem, which is, again, insane at many levels. Uh, this is the disconnect that they don't understand what they don't understand on this issue. Yeah, and this morning we had now Susan Collins quoting Alex Jones with the latest conspiracy theory about how, you know, it's all phony baloney. Uh, it's amazing. David, Columbus, Ohio, listening to WGRN. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, Congressman. My hope is with progressives. They're the only ones that seem to talk about reducing defense spending. It's never in any of the campaign literature. It's never on any of the topics that people talk about when they're campaigning. I'd like to hear that become more of an important issue when we're spending $670 billion on defense it takes away all the money from the other domestic spending. And I think there's plenty of things to spend money on, but more weapons is not one of them. And this just benefits the uh, global banking elite who invest in this stuff. I know this is a major problem, but is there a way of getting the Democratic Party to make that part of their cornerstone for their philosophy? Yeah, David, I think the, the best way to address it, in my opinion, is if we take the majority, Democrats are in charge. There are many people who talk about defense spending, including the, the ranking member of the Armed Services Committee, Adam Smith, has talked about a, a number of different times the excesses in defense spending. I, I think that's our best way to try to deal with it. I, I think right now the campaign issues that people are bringing up to us is what we're bringing back to them. So it's, you know, health care and prescription drug prices is one, um, good-paying jobs and kind of infrastructure is another, and the culture of corruption in Washington. So since those are the three that we're hearing the most, that seems to get what's, what's talked about the most. I added Social Security and Medicare to that as well. But we can actually deal with it um, should the majority change. Then we have to work with the grassroots groups on this to make sure that that's where we find uh, monies for health care and education and all the things that, as progressives, we care about. Uh, we definitely spend too much in that area. David, thank you for listening to our Pacifica affiliate there in Columbus, Ohio. Russ in Hickory Hill, Illinois, listening to WCPT. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Ah, yes. Thank you, Mr. Pocan. 
Uh, let me get this straight, if I can get Orrin Hatch is introducing a bill that I hear, or he wants the Supreme Court to rule that, like, Donald Trump's being investigated on a federal level, that you cannot drag him into New York at the same time. State has no power to, like, uh, charge him with anything. It's only federal. It's like they're trying to protect him from New York putting him in jail. This this ordinance is off the rails because they told our senator here, uh, Durbin, they want to bring back the filibuster if they lose the power, and he told them no. Have you heard anything about Orrin Hatch trying to stop uh, state power from uh, taking Donald Trump court? Yeah, so Tom and I just were talking about it. It was new to me. I think Tom probably has more information because there's a lot flying. This is probably the last week we're in the House. The Senate will probably stay because he needs to keep Democrats from campaigning. So a lot is flying, uh, but um, there is this measure, Tom, I don't know if you want to address it. Mike. Sure, I, I just do it very quickly. This was not uh, legislative. This, you know, this is at the Supreme Court. There's a case before the Supreme Court that was brought to the court the day after Kennedy announced that he was going to step down. So it'll be heard by the new court that presumably would have Brett Kavanaugh on it. There's a 150-year-old exemption to the Fifth Amendment double jeopardy laws that says that you can be tried for the same crime twice if once is in federal court and once is in state court. That's the thing that they're using to make sure that they can go after. For example, if, if Trump pardons Manafort, New York State can then s still prosecute him. Uh, if Trump pardons Flynn, you know, D.C. can still prosecute him or wherever the crimes were committed. And Orrin Hatch filed a 44-page amicus brief with the court saying that this needs to be struck down immediately. So that's what's going on. So, Which is pretty amazing, right? The fact that <laughs> they are so tone deaf. Yeah, let's overturn 150 years of judicial precedent here. It's amazing. Uh, and, and it'll radically cut the, the power of uh, federal prosecutors, by the way, if they do that. So uh, Congressman Mark Pocan is with us taking your calls for the hour. It's Mark on the Tom Hartman program. You can check out his website at pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. Carolyn in Los Angeles, listening on KPFK. Hey, Carolyn, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, thanks so much. And thank you, Representative Pocan. I closely follow what um, has been going on with the U.S. involvement in Yemen. And we were told on September 6th that uh, a resolution would be introduced in September um, invoking the War Powers Resolution and giving us a privileged vote to pull the U.S. out of the current bombing campaign on Yemen, and I'm wondering where that stands and what movement's happening on that. Yeah, Carolyn, a uh, great question, and I think I have great news, and I usually don't get to say that when I talk about Washington, so thank you. A lot of credit goes, I think, to Ro Khanna, who's really taken the lead in the House, but it's Ro Khanna, Adam Smith, who, again, who's ranking on armed services, hasn't uh, worked with us on this before, uh, Elliot Engel now, too, on foreign affairs, who has not worked with us before. We think the WIF uh, Sonny Hoyer is going to be with us on this. We're, we're finalizing that now. But we think we have the impetus to put this out there and have really strong support. I think the continued abuses that have happened there are continuing advice to the Saudi-led coalition, the refueling, uh, the weapons coming from the United States. It's just culminating enough that I think we now have more and more people uh, in the appropriations bill. We have a resolution I put in around Yemen, uh, stayed in, and will be passing by the entire House of Representatives. This issue is finally, and I do say finally because, you know, so many people have died already from this, um, is getting some attention. So that will be introduced this week. 
Uh, obviously, since we're not going to be in session after the election, there's going to be a little gap, unfortunately, to deal with it. But the good news is we finally have some real leadership and a diverse mix of support for this, and I think we can have a real debate, and there are Republicans who agree with us as well on this issue. Uh, I feel much better than I did uh, months ago when we tried this the first time. Can you, for people who might not know what we're talking about, Yemen has gotten so little coverage in the mainstream media. Um, You want to give us a primer on what's going on? Absolutely. So there's war between the Saudi-led coalition and Yemen, and somehow Iran gets brought in under President Trump. But the bottom line is there's unbelievable devastation happening in Yemen, probably only second to Syria. And at times they're trying to take out the port where 70% of the food and medicine come into the country, hundreds of thousands of people at risk of famine because of what's going on. And at first we were supposedly involved with just refueling jets. Then it came uh, out that we have people on the ground advising and then most recently, a bomb that killed school children was a U.S.-made bomb. It just keeps coming out that we have far more involvement than Congress has ever given any authority to. And we're trying to get Congress back involved because it is our job. If we're going to be that involved in a conflict where so many people are dying, and again, the second worst on the planet, maybe only to Syria, uh, we need to have Congress to say. The good news is we've got some Republicans agree with us, and now we have some leadership in this area on the Democratic side agreeing with us. Um, I think we're maybe at a point to try to deal with the issue. Yeah, this is truly a humanitarian disaster. I think it was the, the Houthis are, are Shia or related to Shia, and they, they were rising up against the government, and, and the uh, Sunni government and the Saudis were, are putting them down. Is that the... And there's just a whole bunch of innocent people killed in the middle. and starved to death in the middle. Yeah, yeah, it's terrible. Steve in Phoenix, you're on the Earth Congress in Pocan. The messaging. I live in a 55-plus community out here in the valley, and 70%, maybe more, of these people are Republicans. And we need, I feel we really need to start targeting the 55-plus communities. Secondly, there's attack ads on TV portraying Kristen Cinema as a socialist, and I guess they're doing this across the country. And what I think the Democrats should do is embrace this and turn it around and say, and, and do their ads on TV and explain, yeah, we're socialists, and this is what it does. It provides Social Security, Medicare, uh, the Postal Service, the VA, uh, unemployment insurance, and infrastructure. What say you, uh, Congressman Pocanon? Thank you, sir. Sure, sure. Thanks, Steve. Well, first of all, um, I am seeing, uh, when I travel around the country now, um, helping out on, on people who are running for Congress, uh, health care seems to be the lead issue. Social Security very quickly follows up. So, we certainly are messaging to the 55-plus crowd that we need to not just uh, preserve but strengthen uh, Social Security. And there's a lot of changes that we could do and need to do as uh, Congress, a lot of uh, legislate, pieces of legislation that we've introduced. So we are addressing it, and I think that will be very helpful for the very reason you brought up. Um, second is I don't like to take you know, their debate. What real people talk about is not socialism. What real people talk about is whether or not they have health care for their family, uh, whether or not they can afford to take a vacation and pay for their mortgage, uh, you know, they talk about common sense sort of stuff. So they're not landing any punches right now, we can see, on this socialism debate. So rather than take their debate, which they would love to have us do, and get sidetracked from why we're winning, we're winning because there's a bunch of corruption in Washington. The Republicans are completely complicit with what's going on with Donald Trump. We're winning because they're trying to take away health care from people, and they're afraid they're going to lose access to health care for their family. And we're winning because we're talking about uh, Social Security and other economic core issues for families. So I just want to keep us talking about that. It seems to be working right now in the races I'm seeing around the country. Um, But, uh, you know, they're trying to make a word that shouldn't have a negative connotation, have a negative connotation. But if we jump to their debate, then we're off the message that 
real people are talking to us about as we're on the campaign trail. And Brad in Chicago, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Why not call the Republicans the R-A-P-E Republicans? Thank you, Brad. Yeah. So, so Brad, what we're saying is the way they're acting clearly shows a disconnect with where the public's at and with the election coming as close as it is. Seems like they really want to get this Supreme Court seat for life over what they're doing. But let me just, if I can add, answer it in, a bit indirectly, I am really worried about what's going to happen with Rod Rosenstein because if they uh, on Thursday don't fire him and wait till after the election, if you get rid of Rod Rosenstein, he is in charge of the Mueller investigation. He has the direct oversight. They can do anything they want. We may not ever have a Mueller investigation. That's what they're up to. That's why they're trying to go after the prosecution stuff through a Supreme Court case. Uh, that's why uh, they've got all this other stuff in front of us. So people need to get active with groups like Move On and other groups that are part of a big coalition that are ready that if Rod Rosenstein gets fired or uh, Mueller gets fired, uh, that we are going to have uh, rallies across the country with millions of people involved because it is a direct it is a direct threat that they want to stop that from happening. And uh, even though we can have investigations on emoluments clause and in Russia and other things, this is an important investigation. And to fire people to get rid of it is something that I think is a very possible and maybe even likely scenario. So we have to be very, very ready for that. So I, I want to make sure that's on everyone's radar screen because Rosenstein uh, is the direct supervisor of the Mueller investigation, and that's why this matters so much. Right, and he has a sign-off on every single warrant and every single, uh, you know, grand jury effort, and the guy who will replace him is on record as saying that he thinks that if uh, Mueller starts looking into Trump's finances, he's gone too far. And this could, they could bury the investigation, all this work, yeah. uh, and this clearly it's gone in a productive way. Yeah, it's amazing. Harry, in uh, Horseshoe Bay, Texas, Harry, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Good day, gentlemen, Congressman Pocan, Mr. Hartman. It's always a pleasure to speak with you, Tom. How can we, as concerned citizens, mobilize enough effort to stop this nomination dead in its tracks? There you go. Congressman? Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, Indivisible, Move On, DFA, PCCC um, are all groups that are working on this, Public Citizen, many others, I shouldn't start naming them, I'll exclude a bunch, but those are some of the groups that have been very active. Get active with them right now on what's happening, so you're doing things in your locality as well. You know, call your U.S. Senators. Um, Ted Cruz uh, is up in your state, Harry, and, you know, I know we don't often expect very much of him, but the more pressure he gets, uh, the better it will be, and if people call their Senators across the country, uh, the more it'll matter. But, you know, you're, you're right. You put him in for a lifetime term, and you've got a hardcore conservative in there who was the only person who said you can't go after a president while they're in office. Well, I think we can, you know, we, we, this guy is very transparent, Donald Trump. I mean, we, we know how he operates. Uh, this is what it's all about. And uh, many of the outside conservative groups, the Koch brothers, just want a Supreme Court conservative justice no matter what. They're willing to do almost anything to get there. Uh, we have to really hold them accountable, and that may mean uh, getting active at election time between now and November 6th means doing a whole lot more than maybe we do from our, our, our chair comfortably at home. Uh, we have to be as active as possible, uh, and this is the time to do it. 
Hi, I'm Randy, and this is Dave. We're the founders of Bombas, makers of the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. So comfortable, we've sold and donated over 8 million pairs. Yes, donated. Why? We learned that socks are the number one most requested clothing item at homeless shelters. So we started Bombas with the mission of donating a pair of socks for every pair we sell. To donate and sell a lot of socks, we became obsessed with comfort. We reinvented the sock from the ground up using the best materials available. Like the softest and most comfortable cotton. Getting rid of what wasn't working. Like that annoying toe seam you can probably feel if you wiggle your toes right now. And inventing a few new comfort innovations along the way. Like arch support that feels like a hug around your midfoot. It worked. People tried them, loved them, told their friends about them. Helping us sell and donate over 8 million pairs. Try them now at bombas.com slash Tom and get 20% off your first order. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash T-H-O-M. Bombas.com slash Tom. Dianne Feinstein this morning just released a, a memo that Kavanaugh had written back when he was working in the Bush administration that completely contradicts sworn testimony he gave to the Senate Judiciary Committee back 2004, I think it was, when he was being considered for the D.C. clerkship. So she's found another lie of his. I think we're up to five now, where he's lied under oath to Congress. Michael in Imperial Beach, California. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Representative Pocan. Uh, Representative Pocan, it seems to me that the Koch brothers' ultimate goal is to create a constitutional crisis resulting in a constitutional convention to rewrite the Constitution of the United States. If that happens, who is entrusted with writing the new Constitution of the United States? The Federalist Society, the Supreme Court, the House, the Senate, or the states? Thank you, gentlemen. Yeah, so, Michael, I think what you're saying is, I mean, you've got a hypothesis, and I think you're right in that we know uh, all those entities are trying to fund this. And I think we're, what, Tom, three states away from yeah. uh, doing it, which is pretty scary um, because they think they can uh, get their way that way. I don't know if all the rest leads to that. I don't think there's that much um, uh, conspiracy out there. I think uh, you know, much of what they're doing is just general incompetence. They uh, elected someone who has uh, you know, made this more of a cult than a, a a political party, and, and he's operating in a very odd style. But I don't think that this is all totally orchestrated. Uh, but I do think you're correct. They would love to do just that. I just don't think this is directly related. Okay. John in Hillsborough, Oregon. John, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Here's a generic question. Probably both of you have kind of um, said it before, but I never did hear it. So I'm just being a little selfish. What if there's a red wave and not a blue wave? What if the Democrats are completely slaughtered on the Senate and the House of Representatives? I, you know, everybody thought Hillary was going to win, didn't do it. So with all this gerrymandering and Jim Crow activity going on, and apathy, of course, it seems as though I, I, I'm really sweating this one out because I have this really gut-level feeling that... Uh, the Republicans are even increased their margin in the House, have increased in the Senate. Game over. Thank you. Yeah, John, I understand your fear for many reasons because uh, they've been working at what they've been working at for a very long time, and they've already manipulated many of the structures to do just that, including things like gerrymandering, like you mentioned. However, um, the polling on all these special elections, the polling we're seeing, and this is not the polling from two years ago where it didn't work because the turnout wasn't there. We actually have had 44 states legislative special elections since Donald Trump got elected that have flipped from Republican and Democrats. So we have something actually to verify you know, this on. Um, I, I don't think that's the case. Even though Donald Trump says it, I think he says it for the base. 
um, but it's not real. And, and even I had today, um, Mark Meadows was in my office, and we had a nice conversation, and he kept referring to uh, when we take the majority, because I think many Republicans are realizing that that is a very potential possibility. So um, I don't. I, I don't think there'll be a red wave based on any kind of scientific criteria, and it is different than the scientific polling criteria from two years ago where they just were off on turnout. For it. Yeah, very quickly, do you think that there's going to be any successful pushback on the Republican voter suppression efforts? Um, you know, uh, they, they refuse to put any money, and we could have a whole long conversation on that, but so far we're not seeing some things that would have been signed that'll make it as nearly as bad as two years ago for sure. Yeah, well, and we've got, man, we still have a ways to go. Congressman, thanks so much for being with us. Absolutely, thank you as always. Great talking with you. It's the Tom Hartman Book Club. We're reading today from the American Revolution of 1800, the original edition written by Dan Sisson, and I contributed to the updated version. And this is from the afterword, which I wrote. Uh, We're on page 220. And we've talked about the five criteria that Thomas Jefferson had that will provoke a revolution, and we'd already covered the first three of them. This is the final two. When Reagan came to power after 50 years of New Deal policies, America was among the most socially mobile of all the world's developed nations. After 30 years of Reaganomics, however, the United States is among the least socially mobile nations in the developed world. All of this suggests a revolution could be brewing. Jefferson's final two criteria for a revolution were the people's understanding of their relationship to the constitutional powers present in the government of the day and even of the hour, and the degree of liberty expressed in a declaration of rights toward which the revolution aims. Once again, we find the vast majority of the people frustrated. In 1976, in the Supreme Court case Buckley v. Vallejo, the court discovered in the First Amendment an explicit protection for money and its uses, particularly with regard to politics. Two years later, in the case of First National Bank versus Bilotti, the Supreme Court found that the 14th Amendment was passed after the Civil War to give equal protection rights to corporations. Most Americans had never noticed the word money in the First Amendment, or indeed anywhere in the Constitution itself, and most Americans thought the Civil War was largely fought to free the slaves, not the transnational corporations. But there it was, and the Supreme Court brought these two decisions together in a big way in 2010 in its Citizens United versus Federal Election Commission ruling. Corporations were now persons, even humans, and money is no longer property, but it has become free speech. To add insult to injury, both major political parties have spent much of the past 30 years promoting so-called free trade deals that have added vast power to corporations to not only send American jobs overseas, but even to sue individual states or cities that might act in ways to prevent it. And the revelations by Edward Snowden and others that the U.S. government was treating its citizens' privacy with contempt have revealed, most of all, how much our Constitution has been eroded. Many Americans are asking, what happened? Without privacy, how can one have private thoughts? How can democracy even exist? These are what the First and Fourth Amendments were supposed to guarantee and protect. Throughout the 1980s and 1990s, those Americans who sounded the alarm about rising inequality, the loss of manufacturing jobs, and disappearing civil liberties were largely regarded as the fringe Although Ross Perot, running on these fringe issues, captured nearly 20% of the vote in the 1992. People were starting to wake up back then. Americans began to see, as corporations and the very wealthy acquired increasing rights and powers, that their own individual rights under the Constitution were being rapidly diminished. And the degree of liberty they experienced was in a downward spiral, both politically and economically. 
Today, the rise of grassroots movements on both the right and the left, the Tea Party and Occupy, are ample evidence of revolutionary pressures. Jefferson's observations have been borne out over and over again throughout American history and the history of the world. And now his prescience about revolution confronts us. Not only have political parties sealed their lock on America's political system, but the power of faction, the faction of corporate and multi-generational wealth, have been cemented into place by our Supreme Court. Meanwhile, the founding notion that our government was to be a force for good, fully representing the will and needs of we the people, is ridiculed as a matter of policy by one of our two national parties. The ideals of majority rule, principled compromise, and collaboration and cooperation have been discarded in favor of a relentless effort to destroy the opposing party and its standard bearer. James Madison must be rolling over in his grave. And Thomas Jefferson, were he alive today, would be saying, I warned you, even the high federalists like John Adams and John Marshall and that fervent mercantilist Alexander Hamilton would be shocked by the state of our nation today. One of the most important lessons of the Revolution of 1800 was that when a nation has gone astray, it can be brought back to its senses with a revolution at the ballot box. Once again, we can see the connection between Jefferson and our time by recalling one of his most quoted sentences, the one that circles the dome of the Jefferson Monument in Washington, D.C., uttered in frustration over lies spread during the campaign by extreme religious factions, it stands as a remedy to a free society to rebut the allegations made in our time. The tyranny over the minds of men continues today to include that of the religious zealots. That's who Jefferson was speaking of, by the way, when he wrote those words. But to this faction has been added the factions of transnational corporations and billionaires. In some, our Congress is looking more like the high Federalist domination legislature of the eve of Jefferson's Revolution of 1800, paralyzed and polarized by factions within parties that ignore the vast majority of working people in the United States. In a very real sense, we are still confronting the choice between Hamilton's vision of society, an elitist government owned by the wealthy and bottomed on corruption, or Jefferson's liberty, freedom, economic equality, and democracy in the interests of the common man. One is the illusion of freedom in a false democracy. The other is the promise of our Declaration of Independence, our Constitution, and the Revolution of 1800. Revolution of 1800 by Dan Sisson. Let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by Goats for the Old Goat.com and Ellen Ratner's new book, Loving What You Do. On the phone with us is... Ellen Ratner herself. Hey, Ellen, what's going on? Well, thank you so much. Well, I'm in New York for the 73rd uh, meeting of the uh, of the security. I'm sorry, of the uh, general uh, uh, election. General uh, Assembly. General General Assembly. Sorry about that. Yes, in New York at the United Nations. Of course, Trump spoke yesterday at the United Nations, and today because it, the Security Council is, is changes every month and it's run by the United States for the month of September, he actually had a meeting of the Security Council that he ran. Hmm. Now, I know, I listen, I'm against Kavanaugh, too. However, he's got somebody in line, if Kavanaugh doesn't make it, who's a female who is more right-wing than Kavanaugh, if you can imagine. Really? And that really worries me. Uh, yes. And so I'm worried, you know, if Kavanaugh doesn't go through and now there's a third woman that says that basically they got women uh, on drugs and whatever, and then right. they raped them. Yeah. This is just unbelievable. Yeah. 
It really is. It's also, I think, a very revealing glimpse into the into the nature of wealthy white entitlement in the frat boy culture in this country. Well, it certainly was, and the question is whether it's still going on in this day and age. Amen. Uh, whether, you know, I think it actually might be. Yep. I don't think they're getting women on pills and, and drugged, but uh, certainly they feel like women are theirs. Yeah, they may, they may be uh, still doing it that way, or they may just be renting them. They're wealthy enough. And, you know, it's interesting. I was just telling your wife that I was abused by the fruit man when I was 17 or 18 years old. And he pinned me against the wall and started feeling me up. I never thought of going to the police. Who would go to the police then? Yeah, yeah, there was a different time and, 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 a, and a different understanding of all these things. What else is going on in the world, Absolutely. Okay, so um, now the president made remarks at the U.N. Security Council today. Um, and as I said, he was in uh, the United States is in charge of it for the month of September. But interestingly enough, he has accused China of interfering with the 2018, which we haven't had yet, election. Hmm. Uh, and so that's very interesting. China is responding to that, but the president made that accusation today. Wow. Uh, so that's very interesting. Now, there has been some, also some very interesting uh, votes on what might be happening with the House and the midterm elections. A lot of people are saying that the midterm elections may turn the House into Democrats. We just don't know. As they say, the only poll that's worthwhile is the one on voting day. Yep. Uh, also, the president has a new limousine. It costs $1.5 million. It's called The Beast. And it has a refrigerator stocked with his blood type. Wow. Uh, so that's, uh, that's very interesting. Um, also, uh, what, again, back to the midterms, uh, what we do know is that, again, if people go out and vote, and I get a lot of things from the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, because I signed up for the Republican Party so I can see what they say, <laughs> and I get a lot of things every day. Go out and vote, go out and vote, go out and vote. There's people on the streets here in New York City where I am now because of the General Assembly that are saying register to vote, etc. Yeah, yeah, this is, good. this is a big deal, and particularly since uh, the Republican secretaries of state around the country have already knocked several million people off the voting rolls, you know, just since the last election. So, Well, that's what they're trying to do, and they're yeah. trying to, and now there's lawsuits to get people back on the voting rolls. Right. It's going to be tough. I mean, you know, the, the guy who's running for governor in, in, uh, in Georgia, uh, forgetting his name right now, uh, you know, against Stacey Abrams, uh, he's he's he took four hundred over four hundred thousand people off the voting rolls last year as secretary of state. Well, now I he's mean, running for governor. And the thing is, is that if you don't vote, they just take you off the rolls. It's craziness. Yeah. Yeah. And there was the Supreme Court that authorized that, you know, in that case wow. involving Ohio. Just just uh, right. just last Great year. State of Ohio. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what else okay. is up, Ellen? So now it's very interesting. Uh, they have now said that hemp re uh, imports have reached $67 million. Uh, and what's fascinating about that, of course, that hemp is not, even though it's made from the same plant as marijuana, et cetera, it's not, it's not something that you can get high off of. But mm. because of the rules right now, they uh, have, you have to import the hemp and you can't grow it here. Well, that's craziness. Yeah, yeah. This, and and the, I'm guessing these imports are principally from Canada, right? Well, they're, I don't know where they're from. Yeah. Canada, all over the world, yeah. actually. We should be able to grow uh, hemp, uh, industrial hemp. I mean, well, we should be able to grow pot. We should be able to grow, be able to grow hemp. Yeah. 
We should be able to, I mean, this is insanity, and it's just, and frankly, if the police officers spend their time on that, then they're not spending it on real crime. Yep, agreed. Okay, um, so now there's a question of whether they're going to eliminate the military exercises in Korea, that'd be South Korea. Mm -hmm. Uh, The uh, U.S. military has objected to that, basically. This puts them in direct conflict with President Trump, uh, who basically says, hey, we're calling off all military exercises with Korea. And so this is going to be very interesting to see how they deal with that one. Yeah, this is one of his promises to Little Rocket Man. Uh, right. <laughs> that he's going to get rid of uh, that kind of thing. It's very interesting. Yesterday he didn't mention Little Rocket Man. He just said that they had a good relationship with North Korea. But that's not what they said a year ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's a, it's weird times, Ellen, having a grifter, uh, you know, for president. It really is. Uh, for sure. Ellen Ratner with Talk Media News. Ellen, thank you so much. Thank you. Great talking with you. Take one atom of nitrogen and bond it with one atom of oxygen, and boom, you just created nitric oxide, a miracle molecule your own body makes that fuels your cardiovascular health, keeping you vibrant. But as we all age, our bodies need help generating more natural nitric oxide. Superbeets by Human N has harnessed the power of nutrient-enriched beets and created a superfood that helps your body make more nitric oxide on its own. The core philosophy of Human N is to develop heart-healthy products for your body. One teaspoon of Superbeats daily supports your cardiovascular health and blood pressure levels, giving you natural energy without the need of a quick caffeine kick or sugar high. We're talking real. We're talking healthy, natural energy. Call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply of Superbeats and free shipping with your first purchase. Feel the 1 plus 1 equals boom effect of Superbeats. Call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeats.com today. You're listening to Tom Hartman. I want to talk to you about Rod Rosenstein and what's going on with all of this and why, what it has to do with Paul Manafort. And I'm not talking about the pardon stuff. Um, I'm talking about why at this moment in time, this very moment, this very week, Donald Trump feels that he has to shut down the investigation, number one. And number two, what's really at stake with Brett Kavanaugh, it's looking increasingly like the Kavanaugh nomination has fallen apart. But he's going to get somebody else who is, you know, a a reliable right-wing crank who will do what the Lochner court did, what what the Supreme Court did in the era from basically 1901 to 1937. And that is to say, if it's not in the Constitution, it's not constitutional. This is, this is the argument that, that right-wingers have been making for a century. It's the argument that they made when they said that Brown versus Board of Education was wrongly decided and that Earl Warren should be impeached. It was the argument that they made when they said Roe v. Wade was wrongly decided and, and that you know, the, the, and, and needed to be overturned. They say, you know, if it's not in the Constitution, it doesn't count. It's not something that we should be paying attention to. And in the Constitution, there is this list of the specific it's called the enumerated powers clause, uh, typically referred to as, as that, although the founders didn't call it that and the Constitution doesn't call it that. But it's under the area, it's under Section 8. It's in a section called powers granted to Congress. And it starts out the Congress shall have the power to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excises to pay the debt and provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States. Um, the, number one. Number two, to borrow money. Number three, to regulate commerce. And it goes through this whole list of things that, that Congress can do. 
And then at the very end, at the very end of this, number 18, it says, Congress shall have the power to make all laws which shall be necessary and proper for carrying into execution the foregoing powers and all other powers vested by this Constitution in the government of the United States or in any department or officer thereof. In other words, and Congress can do whatever it wants. But this is not how conservatives have read this. Ronald Reagan, in March of 1961, Ronald Reagan released a recording, along with the American Medical Association, of a speech that he gave talking about how if we pass Medicare, this was Medicare, if we pass any kind of national health insurance program, we're toast. And, uh, you know, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. There's actually, this is from a speech in 61. Um, he reprised these themes in 19, I think it was 66 or 67, to oppose Medicare. But here's Reagan talking about this. But only here did that little band of men so advance beyond their time that the world has never seen their like since. Evolve the idea that you and I have within ourselves the God-given right and the ability to determine our own destiny. See that, determine our own destiny. You're the captain of your own ship. This is the key to the whole kind of right-wing worldview that we're seeing here. Medicare, that is unconstitutional. Reagan said it. I mean, you know, he even said someday we'll look back, you know, on, those, on that day when men were free, when they didn't have Medicare. You know, he, he continues. Uh, here he is. When I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. When men were free, what it was once like in America. So this is what's going on. And they want to get somebody on the court who's going to take this court back to the Lochner era and say none of these programs are legal or legitimate. They are all unconstitutional. They all need to be overturned. And I think they're going to pull it off. I don't, you know, I mean, you know, Kavanaugh was particularly uh, egregious when it came to women's issues in particular and workplace issues. But they've got they've got another 20, 24 people, I think, on the list that the Federalist Society, they have been grooming these young right wingers for decades, funded by the right wing billionaires, grooming these young legal students and turning them into reliable right wing uh, accolades. And they're going to get this. I mean, this is, this, is, this is the game. So, number one, they're, they're, the Republican Party is willing to lose the Senate, right? Everybody, all these, all these commentators, these talking heads are like, oh, gee, you know, uh, we could have a blue wave. It could be a bloodbath. Could, you know, the Democrats might take over. Isn't that cool? The billionaires don't care. If they've got the Supreme Court, they've got the whole thing. And they're willing to sacrifice some of these people. And they're, going to, and they're going to go to people like Jeff Flake, and they're going to say, you know, there's a, there's a think tank that would love to give you a $2 million a year job when you leave the Senate, as long as you don't flip from the, Democratic to the Republican Party, or from the Republican to the Democratic Party. Don't do what Jim Jeffords did. We got your back. And there's, I, I believe, you know, they've got enough money. I mean, they're dropping $900 million in this election cycle. They, they've got enough money that they can go to every Republican in Congress and say, you know, if you lose the election because of what we're doing in packing the court, if you lose the election because the billionaire class is packing the court and because, you know, we got, we got Trump in with the help of Russia, if you lose your seat because of that, 
we got your back. You, as long as you keep reliably voting to support the fossil fuel industry, to fight efforts to, to, to mitigate climate change, uh, to, to deregulate industry, uh, to deregulate the banks, we've got your back. We've got a job waiting for you. We've got, you know, I mean, these guys have money spilling out the, their pockets as they're walking. It's just, it's, so there's that. And then there's the whole Rosenstein thing. Now, why is it that suddenly Trump is talking about Rosenstein? Well, in part, the, the timing was obvious. I mean, you know, tomorrow was supposed to be Christine Blasey, Blasey Ford's uh, testimony before the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee. Again, I'm predicting it's not going to happen. I could be wrong. But, you know, up until a few hours ago, everybody assumed that that was going to be the case. And, and Trump assumed that. And so he figured out he would put on an alternative media show. I mean, this is what he's so good at. He's built his entire life around manipulating the media, his entire career around manipulating the media. And now that Weisselberg, the guy who ran his company, who ran his father's company, is cooperating with Mueller, as well as Cohen, his, his personal fixer, as well as Manafort, his partner, who, he, you know, who lived right down the hall from him in Trump Tower, or right down the, you know, whatever, the floor from him. Trump has got a real problem. He did not expect to become president. He ran for president because he wanted NBC to pay him more money. And he was trying to prove with this stunt. He, had, he was going to make an announcement and have two campaign rallies. He was paying actors $50 a head to show up for his announcement. This, I mean, this is all on the this is public record. It was, a cam, it was a stunt. And he was going to have two campaign rallies. And then he was going to say, well, I guess I'm not going to make it. And at that point, NBC was going to come in and say, oh, Donald, you know, you're so much better than Gwen Stefani. We need to pay you as much as we pay her for Celebrity Apprentice. That was his plan. He didn't even have a speech written, an accepted speech, when he won. He was completely expecting to lose. This is like the producers, the Mel Brooks film, where, you know, they made their money by having a failure on Broadway. And so it, it didn't occur to him that his money laundering operations, he's, you know, ever since he, his last bankruptcy, he has been desperate for cash. And he's been getting that cash from despotic uh, regimes around the, around the world, uh, many of them former Soviet states and, the, and, the, and Russia, from, from these uh, oligarchs laundering their money through real estate. Real estate has so many loopholes. You can, you can, you can buy a multi-million dollar condo from Trump for cash. No accounting, no nothing. Here, here's some, here's some cash, which is, you know, what the mobsters and the oligarchs love to do. So, I mean, there's, there's a series of deep reports in the Financial Times from a year and a half ago, 2016, that talked about how with the help of intermediaries like Felix Sater and Sergi Milan, this from a piece by Mark Sumner in Daily Kos, uh, Trump turned his organization from a bankrupt real estate firm that was unable to fund the building of a pup tent into a powerhouse money laundering firm that saw hundreds of millions of dollars pouring in from Russia and other former uh, Soviet territories. His genius at selling New York and Florida real estate at ridiculous markups was just, you know, money laundering and lax regulations. The money was coming in through banks in Cyprus. Uh, you know, our Commerce Secretary, Wilbur Ross, was the co-head of one of these banks in Cyprus. So we've got this going on. And then what Paul Manafort just pled guilty to, it was, it was money laundering for Oleg Deripaska. And if you replaced Manafort's name with Trump, 
and Deripaska's name with any of about a dozen different billionaires from, from these foreign countries. You could, that would describe the majority of Donald Trump's income. And he is scared to death that this is all going to come out. And Rod Rosenstein last, recently signed an order expanding the scope of the investigation to include the money laundering scheme on which Paul Manafort was convicted. I believe this happened two weeks ago. And that gives the authority to investigate Trump's business dealings to Mueller. And Trump wants that shut down now. And that's why he's trying to get rid of Rosenstein, because the guy who would replace Rosenstein, the number two guy uh, who is, you know, who would be the number two guy, he's currently the Solicitor General of the United States. He is on the record as saying that he believes that if Mueller were to start looking into the president's finances, into Trump's finances, that is a red line that should not be crossed, that that is not contemplated in the uh, legislation and the, and the rules uh, establishing Mueller's position and what he may look into. So Trump wants to get this done and he wants to get it done now because he's trying to keep his kids and himself out of jail. This is the Tom Hartman program. So once again, the billionaires have Trump. He's one of them and they want to get the Supreme Court. Hang on, this ride's gonna get real interesting. Mary in uh, Chicago, we have just a minute, Mary, it's yours. Oh, hi, Tom. I'm a longtime listener. Thank you. Um, I'm just getting kind of uh, sick of the Democrat taking the higher road. You know, when will they get angry and take the offense on Trump? I swear, I watch a lot of NSNBC and listen, and it's like, you know, it's kind of like there's nothing we can do. Right. It's just going to happen. Yeah, you know, the Democrats come of, on and say, our friends across the aisle, whereas the yeah, Republicans exactly. come on and they say those Democrat yeah. politicians, they won't even spell out the name of the party. You know, I actually appreciate Michael Avenatti coming out and getting angry. Yeah. And, and, being, and being in front of everyone. Oh, he's got a hell of a fan club going now as a result and, of you know, I feel like the Democrats want us to do all the legwork while they sit back and well do, i think there's a lot of know, democrats who are stepping up and fighting mary and the progressive caucus is leading that charge but you know we need i agree we need a little more uh, guts uh, for lack of although it's kind of a sexist term for lack of it but anyhow thanks so much for being with us today we will be back tomorrow as this um, show continues and i'm not talking about me i'm talking about what's going on in dc right now it's going to be a fascinating day tomorrow. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.